You are listening to a message by Refuge Community Church. Refuge exists to glorify God by making disciples that shape their communities with the love of Jesus. <laughs> All right, well, hey, let's go ahead and, uh, and get started. Uh, we're going to be continuing our series entitled Transformed. We're coming together to approach God's word, uh, and we're really asking him to, to help us build a vision for the local church. That's really a, a lot of the goal in this series. Uh, it, it is, or at least it should be, the goal or the vision of every local church to see lives transformed by Jesus, to see people uh, come to know Jesus or know him more and have their lives transformed by that relationship. That's because the local church uh, is really, uh, local church should have a vision for God's kingdom. Right. The reason a local church actually desires to see people's lives transformed is local church should have a vision for God's kingdom. That is God's kingdom. Uh, that is the kingdom in the hearts of human beings. Right. People loving, following, trusting Jesus. Right. We should have a vision for that. Uh, and it only makes sense because the life of the local church uh, is actually directly tied to the kingdom of God. You see, the, the local church, a church like Refuge, or, or, or envision a church that maybe you grew up in, or, or envision a church like Terry Road Baptist Church that's down the street, right? Uh, the local church is actually a representation of God's kingdom for the community that it serves. A local church is only a, a representation of God's kingdom for the community that it serves. Refuge, for an example, is a testimony of God's life-changing and transforming power for Southeast Austin and Dove Springs. That's what we're doing here, right? In case you didn't know, that's the goal of us gathering, right, is is to engage uh, people with God's kingdom, inviting them to know the life-changing grace and love of Jesus, right? And we're representing that kingdom uh, to Southeast Austin. So when we build a vision for the local church, we shouldn't necessarily feel this deep sense, as I have felt in the past, uh, that we're stealing a, a vision from God's kingdom. But rather, a vision for the local church is a vision of God's kingdom at work in the area that we serve. I want you to hear what I'm saying again. A vision for your local church, if you call Refuge home, having a vision for Refuge Community Church is, in fact, having a vision for God's kingdom at work in Southeast Austin. That's what you're envisioning. That's what you're giving yourself to. Right? As we're called to give ourselves to, uh, to following Jesus, to, to expand, taking the good news, to seeing his kingdom expanded, right? That, that's what we're envisioning. We're envisioning that happening in the context of a local church just like this. And for us here at Refuge, a large part of that vision involves three words, connect, grow, serve. You see them in big old letters over there in that back sign, right? And, and those letters are shorthand for connect with God, grow with family, and serve the city. They're actually kind of like the rhythms that we want to live by. These three ideas really build out uh, the questions of who we are and what we do. Right? Who are we? Well, we're refuge. We get that. We're followers of Jesus. Well, what do we do with that? Well, we connect with God, we grow with family, and we serve the city. Right? These three phrases will be what we as a church use to really define and to gauge who we are and if we're accomplishing what we're setting out to accomplish. They answer questions, right? These are the idea that as a church, our, our corporate health together is gauged on whether we are connecting with God, growing with family, 
and serving the city. You heard me say some of this last week. Our, our idea of health as individuals, you and me as individuals, as members of Refuge Community Church, right? Our individual health will be gauged on whether we are personally connecting with God, growing with family, and serving the city. The, the reality of when a person enters our community after years of church experiences, and maybe they've been hurt by churches before, we want to provide them a space to heal by connecting with God, growing with family, and serving the city. When a new believer comes into our fold and their question is, what do I do next? Now I'm, I feel like something has happened in my life. Where do I go? We want to look at them and say, well, well, friend, we want you to connect with God, grow with family, and serve the city. And so really what I'm trying to paint for you is this broad application of these three things because this is who we want to be at a very fundamental level. We, Refuge Community Church, connect with God, grow with family, and serve the city. This is kind of the backbone of our ministry life. And so this series is focused on building a vision for the local church, for our church, uh, through thinking about these three things, these three rhythms, connecting with God, growing with family, and serving the city. Last week, we covered connecting with God, and we really considered this truth, that, that to the extent we connect with God is the extent to which we will identify with Jesus. Right? We learned about the fact that there are false identities out there in the world. The false identities that people want to, to attribute to us uh, false identities that, that claim they can provide something they actually can't. And then there are false identities that we ourselves desire to attribute to ourselves. Yet as followers of Jesus, we're given a new identity in Christ. And when we connect with God, we reconnect in the midst of our struggles, in the midst of those lies to that new identity that we're called to walk in. This week, we're thinking about that second rhythm, which is growing with family. Right? Do, do you mean have a big family? That's not what I mean. I'm Mexican, so it's a possibility. But... It's not quite, I thought that would hit way better than it did. I like wrote it down, thought it was going to be funny. It was not funny, flat, all right. Um, but, but what does growing with family mean? Well, well, this is our definition, our language for the idea of growing with family. It's going to be on the screen, so feel free to take a look at it and read it with me. We believe that God works in the context of people following him together. Growth happens in the context of spiritual family. When God made us, he didn't make us to be alone, but to live full lives with meaningful relationships that point us to him. Right? That's the idea. When we say grow with family, that's the idea we're pointing at. Okay? To help us understand this idea and to really, really kind of flesh out this idea of growing with family, we're going to be in Acts 4, 23 through 31, which is what Laura read. Uh, and here's the main point I want you to walk away uh, this week with. And it's really a sentence that's already found in that definition. God works in the context of people following him together. God works in the context of people following him together. Uh, to build out that idea even more, we're going to be taking a look at a few ways God works in the context of people following him together in this text. Right? This text is actually a great example of how God works in spiritual family to do some powerful things in our lives. And really, we're going to take a look at three specific ones. Right? In the context of spiritual family, God, one, reminds us of who he is. God reminds us of who he is. Two, he reminds us of what he's done. He reminds us of what he's done. And three, he reminds us of who he's made us. He reminds us of who he's made us. So we're going to take a look at these three as we walk through uh, this text for the next few minutes. But uh, before we jump in here, I want to make a quick note uh, to you. We're, you're going to hear a few phrases that may be used kind of interchangeably. Uh, those three phrases or a couple of phrases are spiritual family, uh, community, people following Jesus together. I'm using those kind of synonymously, right, and using them kind of interchangeably. Uh, and, and it's really short for people that are following Jesus together, right? 
God doesn't save us, again, as that, as that quote said, to be alone, right? He, he gives us a community of like-minded people uh, who are following him alongside of us, who are following him with us. And when we come to faith, this group of people actually becomes our community, right? A, a Christian community is, is a spiritual family, right? Jesus even says uh, in his early ministry, his mother and brothers come to the door. They're like, hey, call Jesus. And Jesus responds like, who are my mother and my brothers? But the people that do the will of God. And that was right in front of his mom and brothers, right? Like, it was, imagine, could you imagine showing up at your, 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 your mom's, your, your son or your brother's, uh, you know, shindig and being like, hey, can you call my brother? And he's like, who is my brother? You know, like it, it, it could feel a little weighty, but, but Jesus adds that weight to this idea. He wants us to see this is, this is who I, I've grafted you in with, this spiritual family. And it's likewise incredibly important to this text because Peter and John, uh, just before we read this, we actually covered what happened to them right before this last week, had just been arrested, persecuted, threatened by Hebrew religious leaders for talking about Jesus. It was scary. It was incredibly difficult. They were bold and they stood up for the gospel as followers of Jesus, but it still must have been really hard, right? Could you imagine having just been arrested and having just been really persecuted, having just been threatened. And, and right after that, though, it doesn't say that Peter and John leave to go rest, though I'm, I'm sure they rested, right? I'm sure they rested. It doesn't say that they went and really just needed some me time, though I'm sure they had some me time. It, it doesn't even say they went to go spend time alone with God, though I'm sure they spent alone time with God. None of those, actually. In verse 23 of our text today, it says directly after being released, they went to their own people. Hebrew people? No, no, no. They were just with Hebrew people. They were just with the Jewish religious leaders. Like with their families, their mom and dad. No, their moms and dads and stuff were probably in another city at this point. No, they went to be with their spiritual family, with their own people, with God's people. I want to ask you a bit of a harsh question. I hope it's not that harsh, but I could imagine if, you're, if you say no, you could feel like I'm trying to call you out. I'm not. I'm asking because I love you. Do you see the spiritual community of God as your people? Do you see the people maybe in this room, in your community group, right? The, the people that you share life with and follow Jesus with, do you see them as that's my people, right? Those are my people. When I've come out of the hardest situations in life and I'm beaten and I think of a people to whom I want to run, is this the people? That, that's the question that seems to be evoked when we look at this type of language. You see, Peter and John knew because they had experienced certain things with these people. Just a few chapters earlier, they'd experienced the upper room with, with these fellow disciples and saw God powerfully move amongst them there. They, they were with some of these same people when they saw Jesus ascend to heaven and were like, where did he go? Right? Like, like they, they saw some powerful things. They knew there was something special here. They knew that God moves here. Right? When we're in need, they thought, when, when we need somewhere to go, this spiritual family is where we go. Right? Do, do you feel that same way? Is, is, is this the people that you... You see as your people. For many of us, we rightly say, I want to run to God. 
in the midst of hardship, in the midst of, of scary things, we respond like, yo, I want to run to God. I want to get better at that. In fact, I know that I want to pray when I'm facing insecurity, when I'm facing fearful moments. And when things are hard, I know that I need to get better at running to God and going into prayer and going to the Bible and, and going to all these spaces. And those are good. All of them are good. They're, they're actual ways we really do connect with God. They really are. We talk about them here all the time. But if we look at the disciples in the Bible, right, and we start to try to build a pattern of life that seems to mimic theirs, their go-to in times of need actually wasn't any of those things. Their, their go-to wasn't isolation. Their go-to was community, right? Their go-to wasn't withdrawing. Their go-to was engaging, in the midst of hardship, that was their go-to, right? It was community, it was spiritual family because they recognized that God works in the context of people following him together. With a few minutes we have left together, what I want to do is I want to take a look at those three ways we see God work in the context of community here. And then I want to tail off there with a couple of practical applications of, of how you might be able to accomplish this. When we look here at this scripture and we think, well, how is God working in this context of people following him together, right? Spiritual family. The first one we see is that he reminds us of who he is. First, God reminds us of who he is in, in spiritual family. After Peter and John are released, they go to their own people and they tell them everything that just happened. And, and scripture says that when the community heard this, they raised their voices together. Can you put verse 34 up here real quick? Uh, I believe verse 34 should be right there in that, in that section. Is it, is it not? Either way, they, uh, Peter and John, communicate with the community saying this is everything that happened. And then it says they. Who is they? There's a lot of they's in this text, right? It's when they, that is the community around Peter and John, heard this, what Peter and John had communicated they, the community, the spiritual family, raised their voices together to God and said, Master. That word there, Master, other translations translate that word sovereign God, the one who rules everything. Can you imagine being Peter and John and your freedoms had just been taken away from you? You've been threatened. Right? Others are trying to control your actions. They're saying we're going to beat you if you do not obey us because we are higher, superior to you. Obey us, control. Only to come into a spiritual family that then reminds you God is in control. What a beautifully powerful moment. What a moment that must have calmed and stilled their hearts. Right, friend, let me, let me tell you something to remind you of some simple truths. The oppressors in your life, they're not in control. The difficulties in your life are not in control. Low moments and moments of suffering in your life are not in control. But praise God, neither are the good moments, right? Your success is not in control. The unreasonable expectations that maybe you've wrestled with through the course of your life are not in control. The threat of losing everything you've seemed to amass over the course of your life are not in control. None of that is in control. Therefore, none of it can define you. Those things aren't in control, so they can't have the final say about you or where you're going or who you're going to be or who you are now. God reminds us in the context of community that he's in control, that he has the final word, that he dictates where you're going, who you are and who you're going to be. 
So he reminds us of who he is. But he also reminds us then of what he's done. Take a look at verse 24 through 30. Verses 24 through 30 say, When they heard this, they raised their voices together to God and said, Master, you are the one who made heaven and earth and the sea and everything in them. You said through the Holy Spirit, by the mouth of our father David, your servant, why do the Gentiles rage? And the peoples, peoples plot futile things. The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers assemble together against the Lord and against his Messiah. He continues, for in fact, this city, in this city, both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel assembled together against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed, but to do whatever your hand and your will had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, consider their threats and grant that your servants may speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand for healing and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. A lot going on there. But let's take a second to really work through that because there's something really beautiful happening, right? That, that, that text that's quoted in the middle there, right? That, that wording, why do Gentiles rage and peoples plot futile things? That's a scripture quoted from Psalm 2 in the Old Testament, right? That, that's a quotation from Psalm 2. It's a psalm rooted in the Jewish tradition that God places his people in the midst of warring, violent, oppressive people to show that his kingdom is coming, right? That's what it's meant to communicate, to show the world, even in the midst of all the terror, even in the midst of all the pain, that he's present and he's working. Now, though, this text isn't about the nation of Israel. In fact, the text even isn't even really about the, the church. Now, God's people, knowing what God has done through the person of Jesus, Look back and realize, oh, this text, what it was talking about, even all those, those thousands of years ago, is actually about Jesus. That Jesus has ultimately entered into the fray of the world, right? That, that he has ultimately entered into the pain and the war and the strife and the heartache, right? To reign over and bring peace to the world that he loves and has created. That's what they see now. That's what they see now. I love the way N.T. Wright, he's a New Testament scholar, puts this in his, his commentary on Acts. He says, so when the apostles quote Psalm 2 in their confident, exhilarated prayer in verses 25 and 26, they're not just finding a vague proof text to help them anchor a general sense that all the world is against them. They're calling up a very specific text which speaks graphically and powerfully of the Messiah as the Son of God destined to rule the whole world. Friends, let me, let me ask you a question. How often are you reminding yourself what Jesus has done in your life? What he's done. How often are you reminded or thinking about what Jesus has accomplished in your life? How often are you thinking about the, the great story of redemption that is your life in the hands of Jesus? And it's at work right now across the world because of Jesus. How often do we consider who we used to be and who we are now? This question for me, right, how often do I consider the, the broken, uh, empty 19-year-old boy that I was and the man that I am today who has a measure of hope to hold to, who, who believes, uh, who's joyful, right? The, the, the two individuals are so far apart, yet we all seem to lose this sense of what has God done? 
I guarantee you when we ask, how often are you considering the change and the powerful redemption that God has brought into your life? I guarantee you the answer to that question will parallel the answer to the question, are you growing with spiritual family? How often are you thinking and considering what God has accomplished in your life? Pretty often. We'll probably parallel. How often are you growing and spending time with spiritual family? Pretty often. But if the answer to the, to the, to the first question is seldomly, then the answer to the second question is probably seldomly. Friends, when your voice is the only one that you hear, friend, your story will be the only one that you know. When your voice is the only one that you hear, your story will be the only one that you know. And if you're following lies, as a result, those lies will rule you. The definitions that those lies place on you will be the definitions that you have of yourself. Right, the pitfalls that those lies tell you you will stumble into will be the pitfalls you inevitably believe you and probably end up will stumbling into. But when spiritual family surrounds us and points us back and says, no, 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 but look what Jesus has done in you. But look, look at the story of redemption that's taken place in your life. We're reminded of the hope we have in Jesus and what he's done. Right? Through spiritual family, friends, God reminds us of what he's done in our lives and spurs us and lifts our, our, our eyes to say, now, now go take that work further because there's more people in desperate need of it. And so he reminds us of who he is. He reminds us of what he's done. And finally, he reminds us of, of who he has made us. Right? As this text comes to an end, uh, the ground shakes. Everyone is filled with the Spirit. And they go out there and they talk boldly about Jesus. I really like the word bold. Um, look, Acts 4.31, it pretty much just says exactly what I said, but let's read it together, right? When they had prayed, after finishing that prayer, the place where they were assembled was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God boldly. Friends, can I be 100% honest with you? After an extremely difficult moment where, as we mentioned, Peter and John had been arrested, they had been persecuted, right? They had been threatened, but also I want to want to kind of add the next layer of reality and context. We can also assume they were treated poorly because of their status and because of where they had come from, because of their heritage, and where the gospel of God was threatened and their calling was called into question by someone saying, hey, you're just like ignorant backwater Galileans, right? God looks at his people and I think he just affirms and graciously reminds them of what's going on here, right? His deep love for them and his deep love for the mission that he has to change lives, right? The ground shakes. Could you imagine right now? It's like all of a sudden we were praying and everything started shaking. And then we went outside and we we're like, did you feel that? And everybody was like, what are you talking about? And we were like, the shaking. And they're like, no clue. Could you imagine what would happen in your heart right now? The type of affirmation you would feel. The type of, of moment to say, my, my pain in defending this Jesus wasn't worthless. Shoot, I thought it was going to go down, y'all. Man, 
Man, yeah, I thought I thought art was finna was finna become reality. What is that thing called? When it's like art mimics reality or life? Like the I thought the passage was finna happen, like right here in the room for a minute there. Whew, that got me kind of lit. All right. right but this type of affirmation that man, what I'm sacrificing, what I'm putting down, what I'm laying down my life for is not worthless. It's not pointless. This has meaning. God has shown up in this group of people and shaken me and filled me with the spirit and filled us with the spirit and affirmed what you're doing is not pointless. What you're doing is meaningful. I, I, I did save you. I am gracious and sovereign and powerful and I am going to bring redemption to the whole of the earth. What you're doing is right. Keep going. Right. I've, I've made you this bold person, Peter. I've made you this faithful person, John. Keep going. Don't stop. And, and friends, I, I, would, I would go so far to say, although I'm less comfortable affirming this 100%, but I would go so far to say that this is a great and beautiful example of how what God does in your private life, he's going to confirm in the community of God. He's going to confirm it. He's going to affirm it. Right? Well, what you're starting to think about yourself, maybe in your devotional time, and what you're starting to think like, man, I think God is doing this in me. I don't quite know what's going on, but I think, and you stepped into the community of God, God, through that context, is going to say, that's true. Now keep going. Run. Run. It's, it's why that idea of like as a community, we don't just call each other out, we call each other up type of idea. Have you ever heard that before? Right? It's not just, hey, you're sinning. It's, hey, God has something greater for you. Hey, you're not just failing to walk in purpose. Hey, God has a unique purpose for you. And this is what I maybe think it is, right? This is this beautiful environment where God begins to say, I made you. I know you. And I've equipped you. I've, I've brought you into this moment to be who you are, to serve me the way you are, right? To, to reflect me as who you are. What a beautiful moment. And as they, as they walk in this gospel identity, right, the same thing we talked about last week, it says they go out there and they're more bold. I got to say, they were already pretty bold, right? Like we, we said last week, the Sanhedrin wasn't like city council. It was like those congressional hearings. Like this is, it's not Fox 7, it's Fox News. That's the thing we, we tried to, to draw the comparison, right? This is like national television type of deal. And to stand in front of those individuals and say, yeah, I don't know what you're, what you're talking about, but, but this is the Jesus that we know. Right? It's a boldness that, that would have been already surprising. And to see that through this affirmation, God emboldens them further. It's just a beautiful display of the confidence that God gives you as we are surrounded by spiritual community. And, and what he's doing in us begins to be affirmed in the context of the people that he's given us. Our people. Our own people. Friends, um, this is just three ways, right? This is three ways out of this text that I have enough time probably today to pull out and say, here's how God works in the context of people following him together. Here's three ways in this text that God works in the context of spiritual family. By no means is, is this idea limited to these three things, though. Man, God works in the context of spiritual family in umpteenth times kinds of ways, right? Like, like man, it's where he works. That's the point, right? He doesn't save us into being by ourselves. He saves us into this mosaic of people that come together to create a greater vision and view of who God is. So that when I'm lacking in boldness, but I see Peter running off uh, with a sword or whatever, right, all of a sudden I think to myself, I can be bolder, right? And it's also when I'm so angry, yet I see the peaceful, 
the, the, the peaceful uh, uh, disposition of a Misty Nodine or of an Eileen Drake, right? I, I all of a sudden think to myself, there's peace for me to be had here. Right? It's a mosaic of people that come to show us who Jesus is, point us to him, and remind us of the hope and promises we have in this Jesus. Friends, what a gift we have in spiritual family. What a gift we have. Growing in family, and I'll close with this. Growing in family is, in fact, a direct way to actually connect with God. Right? Last week we talked about connecting with God, but, but it's a way that we're brought life as we connect with Jesus through spiritual family. To close up today, what, what I want to do is I, I want to offer some practical ways we can actually grow a family. Right? It'd be weird for me to be like, hey, grow a family. And then you walk out and you're like, I'm going to do it. And then the person next to you is like, how do we do it? And I'm like, I don't know. So I, I want to give you some practical examples and then kind of, kind of move us forward into the service and let us respond to this idea a bit. The first one is um, do everything you can to attend a community group. That sounds repetitious, uh, but, but I, I sincerely, and I might be preaching to the choir here, right? Maybe you, you are there like all the time, um, right? But, but do everything you can to attend a community group. Um, what you're doing there is more special than you know, right? We, we will read a text like Acts chapter 4, uh, 23 through 31, uh, what we just read today, and, and we can oftentimes think like, oh, that was only then. But to be fair, the same God that's at work in, in that moment is at work in the room that you share with people at community group. That's, the, that's what's happening there. It's more special than you think. So do everything you can to attend a community group. The second thing is be honest and vulnerable in a community group, right? I, I don't know uh, uh, if any of you have put that together. If I give you a wrench and you never use it for what it's for, but you just hold it like a wrench and just say, like, I have a wrench, you're never going to get anything done. And so community groups are there to build meaningful, vulnerable relationships. And so I want to encourage you, uh, in the context of your spiritual family, we have a part to play in that, right? We got to be vulnerable. We got to open up and be honest about the things. Those are safe spaces, right? I want you to realize that when Peter and John are released from, uh, from their little, their, their, not little, but their moment, right, with the Sanhedrin, they run back to the community, to their own people, and tell them everything that had happened. They tell them everything. Right? That, that's kind of what we're linking about here. Right? Let's be vulnerable and, and give the gospel space to work on our lives. Three, uh, in general, beyond community groups, I hope that you're fighting for meaningful relationships in your life. Right? Maybe, maybe you don't have the schedule that works with community groups objectively. Right? Not like, I'm kind of tired. Like, I don't mean that. I, I mean like literally you're working until like 9 p.m. and it's like, hey, you're not going to get to one. I understand that. That happens. We live in a real life. Right? But, but I hope you're still fighting to, to build meaningful relationships uh, by going out of your way to spend time with people, right? Finding a, a space to connect with others, being vulnerable with them and honest with what's going on in your life and inviting them to do the same and allowing the space to point one another back to Jesus. Uh, and the fourth one, this is the last one I have, is to serve together, right? That seems um, maybe not as like directly applicable as the other three, but I'm, I might dare to say that it's equally applicable, uh, maybe even more explicitly applicable, because when, when we serve together, whether here at Refuge, in the community, whatever the case is, um, we remind ourselves that there's a bigger story uh, that we give ourselves to together. I want you to think about that. When we serve together, it reminds us there's a bigger story we give ourselves to together. 
we're not called to live by ourselves. In fact, we're called to give ourselves to community. We're not called to live for ourselves. We're called to live to this greater story. When we come together and serve in the context of a church, serve the community, it reminds us of both those truths at the same time. I'm not meant to serve alone. I'm meant to serve together. I'm not meant to be alone. I'm meant to be with others. It reminds us of truths that we fundamentally have to be reminded of consistently or else we'll fall back into isolation. 100% chance. Right? And so serve together. We have spaces to serve here. If you're not serving here, feel free to do that. Or, or, or find, ask us about ways of serving the community. We probably have a couple of ways that you can, you can join in on. And so I'm praying that as, as we continue on as a church family, um, that we would grow with family. Right? That, that we would grow with family. We would take this, this idea and say, God, help me anchor into uh, these meaningful relationships in this, in this place and, and work through them, Father. I, I invite you to work in my heart through these spaces, to work in my life through these relationships. Uh, and that we cont- as we continue to build on, on that idea, we, we would invite more people into that to experience that and to, to learn of, of the life-changing relationship they can have with Jesus through the context of, of his people on a, at a local level. So let's go ahead and pray. Father, thank you so much for uh, this time. Thank you for uh, the spiritual family that you've given us here in this church. We pray that, um, that you would anchor our hearts to it, Father. Similarly to how Peter and John left even the most distressing of moments to seek out their own people, Father, we ask that, that those who, who claim the badge of, of Christ, right, that those who claim to be his followers, his people, uh, that, that we would look at them and say, these are people, my own people. I, I pray that in, in this community that, that we would begin to see each other with deep affection, that we would grow in, in a trust that would lead to a space of vulnerability, and that vulnerability would not be looked at harshly, uh, but rather we would all be captivated by the story of your grace and redemption leading us to extend the grace that we so desperately need and love to others as we continue to all point each other upward to Jesus. So we love you, we thank you, we pray these things in your mighty name. Amen. Thank you for listening. We hope this message encourages you and strengthens your faith.